Hey everybody, it is Tim Robinson here from the Video Game Fury Podcast. It is Monday, April 23rd, 2018. And if you don't know me, I am the guy that gives you all the talk on the video game news, the industry events, what I've been playing through lately, and the continuing adventure of me studying and learning the game dev craft. So remember when I said last time I'd be back in a few days after... Recording a Friday episode, and I'll be back early next week. Yeah, that didn't work out very well. <laughs> um, just fell out of my hands. I, I, you know, had a good, I had an anniversary trip. I was away for a bit. Good times. Ten years with the wife, so I enjoyed that work. Of course, as usual, you know how it is. You come back from vacation, and your inbox just explodes. That is exactly what happened to me. So. The, the, well, unfortunately, the foremost thing in my mind was not the podcast here as much as I wanted to share some stuff here. And believe me, there was a ton of stuff going on in the industry. Uh, we, we're at that point now, you know, mid, getting midway through the year, E3 and around the corner in a couple of months. So we, uh, it, the, the talk of the news is only going to ramp up and rest assured by then I'll definitely have stuff to talk about here. But, you know, I just kind of let things go on the wayside for now and just really try to catch up on other things. And the more I'm thinking about it now, I may try to just do this as a weekly show at this point. I think just with my lifestyle right now and, you know, where my kind of commitment level is and my time is, it may benefit me to just do this as a weekly show and just have all the recaps then and there. I'll see for sure what I can do. Um... You know, for folks here who have been hoping I'd be, I'd be on a little bit more of a regular cadence, I do apologize for that, as I've probably disclosed many times here. For those who are kind of new and favoring the show, which I did see there were a few of you that favored the show lately, even though I haven't had a show in a while, I do thank you. Thank you for subscribing and, and listening here. I hope you do appreciate the content for the years, the months, and God knows how long to come. But I think just now, I mean, as I've disclosed previously... This is not what I do full-time. I work in a different space. You know, I'm not in the game industry as it is at all, really, in any capacity. Just really studying it on the side and reading it on, on the game sites like most fans probably do. And I'm just a guy that wants to come in every now and then, give his thoughts, tell you what's going on, how I'm learning stuff, and kind of leave it at that. But by no means am I, you know, doing this as a living right now. It's just not in the pocket, especially at this point in my life working, having a family, and all that. So I just wanted to really disclose that there for those who haven't heard in me in a while or are brand new to the show. So I'll let you know how that cadence goes here. Like I said, weekly seems to be the more comfortable way of doing this, and I think it does allow for a little more time to get some content in here, especially with you know game, game playthroughs. There's just so much to play right now. I'm not even talking about what came out this year, although we're going to talk about that in a little bit of a second. Getting through 2017's backlog continues to be that wonderful challenge in my life, but I did make some great headway on one major game that came out in the fall last year that we'll be talking about, amongst a couple other things I want to share on today's show. So we're going to keep it game-centered today, hopefully uh, later in the week if things go well, share a little bit of some news that uh, I haven't shared thoughts on that will be kind of old, but I think I can still give two cents about it that I think is important as well, but... Today, we're going to be all about the games today. So, thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoy it. Let's get on with the show. (music) 
First game on the list I want to talk about is Celeste for the Nintendo Switch. Got to play that a lot on the go as a blade, and I don't know lately there, but I've really tried to put myself in a challenging mood lately. You'll you'll hear more of that later on a recent game that came out, but I just kind of been missing a lot of those hard platformer or action adventure games where you know I can really test my reflexes and my hand-eye coordination. And Celeste, believe me, is a game that will really test you in your platforming challenges. If you haven't heard me talk about this before, this is basically like a Super Meat Boy type of platform. It is an indie game. It came out a couple months ago in January. And it's a pretty basic plot to it there. Just this girl, Madeline, is climbing the uh, the Celeste Mountain. We don't know exactly you know, yet why she's doing it, but there's clearly some kind of pain and anxiety in her life as you go through the dialogue in the game and meet other interesting characters throughout the course of the game that make you realize that there's a bigger reason why she's doing this. And that's really the hook from there. I mean, it is, don't get me wrong, it is a pretty cool story. It is a cool story for what it is. But the selling point is the gameplay itself. I mean, the platforming really just challenge you right, right, right and left. And mocks you as you do it, too. At the end of each level, it will actually tell you how many times you died. And, and like I said, you will really, really die a lot here. Just trying to figure out how to get around this place. Some places, some levels are pretty straightforward. Just, you know, you, the thing you should know is your character has this kind of this jump slash dash ability. You control whatever direction you want. But you can only do it once. At least for the the majority of the big, majority of the game. Up, up until the end game comes up. You get this one dash. You got to find a platform to land on so you can recuperate that dash in order to get to the other harder to access part of the level. Sometimes there'll be walls getting in the way. Sometimes the balls will move. Sometimes ceilings will drop. Sometimes spikes will be there to block your way. You may get little power-ups in the middle of the air that you have to reach to that will give you back your jump ability real quick so you can do it one more time. There's a lot of unique unique ways that these guys, I, I forget who the developer is, but they really challenge you and make you think about the best course of action, too. And, of course, like, like most games like this, they will try to challenge you with little secrets to get. There are strawberries laid out across the lands, and in certain levels you don't have to go to them, but... They add a little bit to the game as from a challenge perspective. Uh, I found out later, you know, if you want, if you're into being a completionist, this is definitely up your alley, especially from a challenge perspective. But to the overall end game here, like like most of these fetch quests tend to be, uh, it's really more about the achievements and maybe the extra cutscene at the end or so, and that's that's really all you're gonna get from it. So up to you guys what you feel about. It. If you feel like you're more into it from a gameplay perspective to to be uh, an achievement horde for you will if you will, then it's all for you. But I don't think I didn't go for all that. I think I maybe collected a little over than half of what's available throughout the game. But again, the, the real the the essential part of this game is the the dashing, the platforming. Like I said, if you if you're into Super Meat Boy, this is right up your alley. Just from uh, a challenge perspective, uh, knowing the controls well, learning, knowing the level design well. I mean, and there are tons of levels in here. You you go through like five or six worlds, and each level, each world has probably got about fifty to a hundred different screens to go through. I mean, it is it is massive in the overall scheme of things, especially knowing 
how much you're going to die. And you will die a lot, like I said. So I said, so that's, that, that is really cool if you're into that. The story, like I said, pretty good. I mean, I, I love, I mean, it's very simple, nothing too complex or speaking to. I do like that they go into a lot about her character. You get to a point in the game where you're, your mirror self is actually competing with you, and, and and because you're fighting yourself with all this issues with uh, anxiety and depression, it actually distorts the world around you sometimes. Uh, there's a certain world in the game that eventually gets to a point where your reality in your head becomes actual reality, and you have to navigate through that, which can be pretty jarring and sometimes somewhat disturbing too. So I, again, this is the, this is none of those games that has a theme to it there that, and it really seems to be talking about a lot about mental health. Which again, if you know, for me, last year my game of the year was Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice because of its uh, uh, its discussions on the themes of mental health issues. I thought it was pretty interesting they would delve this route too. They obviously they didn't go too deep with this, just really say your character was going through these issues and wanted to climb the mountain to confront them and i think they just leave it at that that's really the selling point of all this here and i think that's enough for what they were trying to accomplish and i would i'd be ready to say like the the art style and the graphics really fit the mold of what a platformer should be i mean it's it's pixelated it's it's got that 16-bit quality sound to it there that i appreciate uh it's so much that i, I just i've listened to the soundtrack on loop sometimes at work i think it's a really well done soundtrack to the game too to fit each particular type of level you go through so all around this game just hit all the buttons for me here frustrating and a lot of uh challenge levels here but I, by my life by no fault that i feel that it was of the level design or the way that ever the obstacles were laid out or how the controls were laid out that was all on me i needed to really understand the level layout and when to jump in certain situations, when not to jump in certain situations. That is all on me, and I, I understand that. And I think this is why this is one of those really good games, really good platformer games that we don't get too much of nowadays, uh, the, well, other than the occasional Mario. So I dig it. I really think you enjoy it. Easy uh, 20 30 bucks to plow now for this game. Uh, you'll... if. If you're committed enough, you'll you'll get it done with probably for the with a few weeks or so, or a couple of weeks, depending on how much you play per day. But I would really put Celeste out there in you know, one of the upper echelon of great games this year. Uh, it's that it's really that good. So go check it out, Celeste. Really good game. I would say the one thing that really didn't gel with me much too much is that I actually found out there is, and this is spoiler territory if you guys don't want to know. There is an eighth world in the game. There's supposed to be seven, but there's an eighth world that opens up after the credits roll. And it's interesting because it says it takes place a year after the end of the game where you go back to revisit the mountain for some reason. And you're actually going to the heart of the mountain this time. And you're going to actually see for yourself what the actual heart of the mountain's about. Now, the problem is it's asking you to make sure you've collected the secret hearts that appear in each of the seven worlds apparently they're in like a secret part of the of the world that you have to go do and and solve a challenge for and i i took a look at my stash and only had two of them so obviously i didn't go deep enough to really figure this out and at this point i'm like uh i've put a few weeks into this i already got other games i need to get into i'll just go you know find the youtube video of it and, and leave it there most people would say 
you know, go for it to the end here, but just time is valuable to me right now, and I have too much to play. So I guess that was the one thing I, I regret not getting to, and I don't know, I don't know if it was worth it to put it at the end there. I don't know if it really warranted people wanting to go back after being teased with uh, an ending as it was, but you know, hopefully you guys who played and got through that far enjoyed it that much because I just didn't have the muster enough to get through it after putting so much time into it myself. Uh, I just needed to move on. Other than that, though, Celeste, absolutely great game. Definitely going to be in the top bidding for me this year of, of games to talk about and, and in that top 10 list or so. We'll see how that goes, obviously, with the end of the year because it looks like the fall's getting pretty stacked. But I would definitely recommend Celeste if you're hungry for that uh, good old side-scrolling platformer in your life. Next up for me, I finally got through Middle-Earth Shadow of War. I have been dying to get this game over with because of a game that just came out recently. Again, I'll get to that soon. So I really put it to the point these last couple of weeks to really grind and get through a lot of the battles, building up the fortresses, getting my orc armies ready to go for preparing for that final battle. So, here's, so having gone through all that open-world experience, here's my thoughts. Gameplay-wise, still unmatched from uh, a fighting fighting mechanic. This game just, I, I've said it before, it's got that equal mix of the best parts of the Batman Arkham series and Assassin's Creed, just being able to navigate the worlds and you know getting into fights and having different ways to achieve your goals, especially when you've got a massive army of orcs and, and Urukai all around you. You know, they did this well in Shadow of Mordor and they just improved on it in the sequel and I just I could not get enough of the combat here uh there were certain points in the game that I started realizing hey I was just enjoying fighting around the different captains trying to get them and manipulate them or drop their levels down or bring them into my armies it's just the way the number of ways I could encounter these enemies with their strengths and weaknesses is top-notch as usual the nemesis system, of course, continues to be the selling point. And it just, it still boggles my mind that, you know, Shadow Border came out in 2014. It's been four years now. And as far as we know, there's nobody that is taking on or even copying what the monolith guys are doing, have done with this nemesis system. And I don't know if it's because it's a, a patent thing or, you know, they need to get the license from monolith or something there. I'm really not sure. But. This is the kind of system that I would think be ripe for, uh, you know, a Marvel or DC game or uh, a Star Wars game or something. Not even, not even just the license. This is just the licenses that come to mind. But anything else original that these guys can come up with would be astounding for this kind of system to use to build up your vision, your your nemesises and 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 all that stuff. But I digress. This nemesis system in this game continues to be amazing. Uh, the different orcs in the game have all sorts of different personalities, quirks in them. Some of them would scream bloody murder to you. Some of them actually sang to you, had poems to share. Others were silent and had little mini orcs speaking for them. Others, if you shamed them enough or if you messed with their minds enough, actually either become deranged or uh, slur their speech. <laughs> I mean, Monolith pulled no trick, pulled no tricks with this system this time around, and really expanded on the personalities of these orcs. Uh, 
And got to give him credit for that. To, to really push that out here. Now, obviously, the big selling point of this game that they really pushed hard in the marketing was the fortress capturing. And so you get to a point in the game where you have to build your armies and you know bring them onto your team, and you get these different captains that will help you. Uh, either they can spy on the war chiefs and take them out in the castle to make your life easier when you storm the fortress. You... Depending, you obviously build the level of your teams, and depending on that, you get special abilities. Like instead of orcs, you may get orcs with caragors, or archers with flaming arrows, or you may get a grog or uh, exploding, exploding uh, battering ram or something. I mean, there's so many different combinations of taking down a fortress and defending a fortress too. That I thought was very interesting, and again. Having those orcs from the Nemesis system be the war chiefs or even the overlord of the castle really brings a unique touch to how they do it. I even I would I would venture to say, I mean, it didn't seem like it, but I'm sure there was some repetition, but it did not feel like there's a lot of repetition in the speech and the voices and the words that were used. I mean, you really felt that there were tons of unique personalities of orcs throughout this game. It just it blows my mind again that <laughs> there's nobody else using the system. So you got all that there. The gameplay, great. Presentation, great. Uh, the, the, you know, it, it definitely feels like a Middle Earth universe, a Mordor. You know, top, you know, kudos to these guys for that. Now here's where things get a little sketchy for me. Story-wise. I didn't think the first game's story was strong either. I thought it was... Uh, Interesting ploy to have Talion, you know, become one with uh, this uh, dead wraith of an elf in Celebrimbor after he was killed and saw his family get killed as well. Uh, Sauron and his armies coming back to Mordor at the same time. It was a unique premise for what it was. And now, obviously, against a lot of the token lore here, and I should disclose, like, you know, I love Lord of the Rings here, but I'm no by no means tied to that lore that I'm going to scream blasphemy on the internet about it there i mean it's i mean i'm a guy who loves comic books too and i love alternate takes elseworld takes on characters like batman or superman or the x-men or spider-man you know seeing what those characters would be like when they wouldn't be in the main storylines going on regularly i think it's cool and some of those best best stories in comic books come from those alternate universe tales so to hear people like really go off and say like this is not part of the lore and needs to follow the books or the movies or something like you guys just let these guys tell the story they want um, I mean, that, that that part didn't bother me that they were taking these liberties where a lot of the action with fighting with Sauron was happening well before the actual Lord of the Rings books was, was had occurred so that didn't really bother me but the story itself they were trying to tell felt really disjointed to me and I think this is kind of one of those problems of open world games for for what it is like you know different parts of the maps are where some of the some of the side stories will be but then the main stories will also be out there too and it just feels like they broke it up in really small chunks like i would play a main mission you'd fight the nazgul one way or you have to go uh, claim your orc army in another mission but they're quick you know and maybe part of that's because I grinded a lot, you know, finding different orc captains, bringing my or uh, my army, leveling up through the uh, the upgrade system. But I really felt that you go into a match, you'd be done in like three to five minutes, and then your mission's over, and then until you 
finding the next point in the map there. Um, I mean, there was a story to tell. It was interesting to see the things they were playing with there. But it just didn't grab me enough because of the fact that it got really disjointed and I had to travel or even fast travel to different maps in order to get what I needed done. You know, I guess if I was to look at a full, like, so if someone put all the cinematic uh, CGI in the game into, like, one movie on YouTube or something there, I'm sure it may come out a little bit better and understandable, but it just... It just felt really disjointed in itself here. And then I, I've, I've, and for Talion himself, the main characters, and Talion and Killebrimbor, you know, the, the, the dynamic between them is interesting. You know, having him being tied to this wraith in order to do his bidding, to, in order to take back the world from Sauron. I mean, acting, voice-wise, voice acting-wise, they didn't really add much to it. I thought they were kind of bland in the way they were sharing their angst about the world they were in. So I thought the voice acting there it was a little left to be desired. Now I will say this: uh, as I was getting to the point to close to the end of the game, probably about seventy-five, eighty percent in, uh, there was a twist at the end of like right around Act Four when it started, where I thought that man, that is very interesting. If they were to play this up in a sequel, now I should disclose there's a spoilers again here. When Act Four starts, it's called the uh, I think it's called the Shadow Wars, and and again spoilers if you don't want to hear this, you have become a Nazgul, essentially. And now your war is basically defending all your fortresses against Sauron, and now the thing that 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 twist was pretty cool. Now the thing that bothered me though is that I found out I would have to do ten different stages of fortress defenses against Sauron's armies in order to get the true ending of the game. Now, these, each of these stages, though, have different levels to it here. Like, the first four or so is just defend the fortress each, move on to the next stage. When you get to stage five, though, now you have to defend two fortresses in order to get to the next stage. And then I think you get to, like, stage nine or so, you have to defend three, the last one is four, and then you unlock the true ending. I could see what they were going for. With the, just full disclosure, at that point, I was like, you know what, I gotta stop. The Fortress stuff was cool for the time, but now you're making me grind too much in order to do it. And maybe this is some of the controversy, too, if you guys don't remember that, you know, Shadow War had microtransactions for a while where they wanted you to go, go in to get loot boxes and it'll give you more rare gear. You may get some more orc followers. I always get the sense of that was the incentive why they wanted to include that in there if you wanted to get to the true ending faster. And if that's the case... That seems a little sketchy to me. Maybe not as sketchy as what Battlefront 2 did last year, but just to really get to that point and just to get a true ending in the game here, just I, I don't see the need to really do that in a single-player setting. I mean, just do it and, and keep it cosmetic, just simple enough like the guys at Overwatch and Fortnite are doing. I, I don't see why we need to go deeper than that. So I just kind of gave up midway through. I watched the end, the true ending on YouTube. It was pretty interesting there, although I feel like it was a bit anticlimactic that they were kind of speeding through Talion's tale in order to get to the Lord of the Rings stuff that uh, they wanted to tell real quick before they kind of sent Talion off his way. So I felt like they just... I almost feel like they just they got to a point in the game where where it seemed interesting and just couldn't figure out how to get to the end, so they just kind of sped it along 
to get to where the main Lord of the Rings story is and just leave it at that. And I feel like that is cheating a little bit. I mean, hopefully, if, if they're not going to stick to this, maybe there will be a third game that really wraps it up. I feel like the way it ended before Act 4 was starting really made it ripe to have a third game. Kind of like to hold to resolve the whole relationship between Talion and Celebrimbor. Uh, this is me not wanting to spoil the twist because the twist was really good. I'll give it that. Even if the end game didn't turn out to be what I wanted, the real the twist at the end was was something really something to be desired to really see. So I'll give it that. So where does that kind of leave me in my thinking of Shadow of War? Um, you know, like I said, I love I love the gameplay. It, it it hit all those notes that Arkham and Assassin's Creed did very well from like a sword play and a gameplay perspective. The Nemesis system continues to be one of the best things in gaming we've had in the last, you know, probably five, ten years at this point. Which is why I really think a lot of games should be copying off this. I just feel like from a compelling standpoint, like it did it didn't hook the way it wanted at the end from a story perspective. And I hope, you know, I don't know what the sales were for this game here. Um I, I hope that if they're really going to think if they really are going to do a third game to close this out I, I hope they keep it tight really take the hearts uh, especially the next game that I'm going to be talking about you know I think it's really going to be a game changer in terms of cinematography and story direction I think this is a lesson for the guys at WB and Monolith to keep in mind for this if they want to do a third game I think it definitely deserved a little tighter grip on the story uh, and be a little less grindy in these elements too. I get that's the nature of a lot of open world games. Even Horizon Zero Dawn, which was one of my favorites last year, had a lot of that grindiness towards the end as well. I think just the nature of a lot of open world games, when you get to that end game, you just want to grind a lot through the different side quests and other means to level up your characters so that you're ready. I don't know if there's any way to get around that, but that's that is what it is. So Shadow War, put it if you have to give it a grade like one out of you know one to ten, I would say an eight is pretty solid. You know, it's a great game. It's got its flaws. It, it definitely needs to tighten up a few things, mechanic and story wise. But an overall good game in the series here. Uh, I would definitely give it a shot. I'm sure it'll be a game of the year edition soon with the DLC. That's the other thing too. I, I gotta see if I want to play. If there's a uh, I know there's a, what's her name? Is it Ladrio or Tadrio or something? Uh, one of your companions in the game uh, has a DLC to it there. So I might be curious to try that out, see where her story goes. But I'm kind of giving it a break for now because of the game I'm going to be talking about next that I'm excited to talk about. So why don't we do that? So why don't we talk about the big elephant in the room here? It's the one that came out on Friday. The whole video game world is talking about it. I, of course, am talking about God of War. It's been very uh, hyped about for a long time. First shown at E3 2016 and up until this point where the TV and internet trailers are starting to come out in mass. It clearly is the game that Sony is really focusing on as the first big first party game of the year for them uh, through Sony Santa Monica Studios. Uh, the next one, of course, will be Spider-Man later this fall. So... Kudos to Sony for keeping uh, both ends of the year in mind in terms of their first-party content. 
But God of War, though, you know, if you guys have been reading the news online, looking at the reviews and seeing Metacritic, they are glowing over this game like crazy from all perspectives. Just direction-wise, production-wise, story, gameplay, sound, voice acting. I mean, it's everything in a game people have wanted for. And it's really showing in these guys' reviews. So much to the point that they're really being respectful of Sony and Santa Monica Studio in terms of not spoiling anything. They will even go out and tell you, hey, if you're going on YouTube, watch out for those thumbnail images because even a thumbnail image may reveal an important plot point in the game that could be spoiled for you. That's pretty interesting to see how tight the game industry is like that. Uh, usually in the age of trying to get some kind of clicks on your sites or you know boost, boost your reputation in this industry, it's, it wouldn't be put, be put past a lot of people to get a sticker of that information and make it a point as part of their blog or vlog or website. But these guys have been really good about protecting that, and I really do appreciate that because, it, you know, experiencing this game for yourself is is a must if you're into this type of game. I played about maybe three to four hours already, not as much as I hoped. I did get on, I had it pre-ordered and ready for download Friday, but I really didn't get to really dive into it until Sunday night. And even then, like I said, just a couple hours. First impression-wise, though, I am seeing where the hype is coming from. I mean, just beginning on its own, man, that this game just really hits you on the head in the beginning with uh, kind of a, what looks like it's going to be an emotional journey for you as Kratos and your son Atreus as uh, you go about this mission for, again, I'm not going to spoil it, for someone that you've lost that you, you want to take on. Now they're now of course Sony and Santa Monica are, are holding their hand, holding the cards close to the chest here because they're calling it a sequel, but they're also calling it a reboot, in the sense that the story is continuing from Kratos's journey through the Greek pantheon into this new kind of Norse mythology type of world that they're in, but it is acting a reboot in a way is that it is definitely not the same game that you were playing back in the old PS One PS Two days. Or rather, just PS2, PS3, I should say. You know, camera is up close to you. It's basically hugging your shoulder most of the time. Kind of similar to how the camera direction changed from Resident Evil 3 to Resident Evil 4. You no longer have the, the Chains of Olympus. You have the Leviathan X. And of course, like I said, you have a son in Atreus who has a bow and arrow. And you're trying to teach them the ways to fight and survive in this harsh world that they're in. So a lot of interesting gameplay changes with the axe. Atreus is his own dedicated button, a square button on your controller. And you're dealing with a much different brutal world, almost kind of Hellblade-ish type of world. In terms of both the world setting as well as the combat style. It's much more up in your face. It's it's still got the same. It's still got a lot of graphic quality to it as a lot of God of War games can to be. Although I'd say at this point here, the level of graphic fidelity definitely not as gory yet as compared to the previous games. Of course, we're just dealing with. I was just dealing with the, like these plant creatures for now, which probably why it kind of dispels the gratuity behind it a little bit. But this is really getting interesting and intriguing the way they're. Slowly revealing their hands in the story. 
But I gotta say that the way it's graphically presented, the whole one-camera shot where it goes from seeing the gameplay, seeing the gameplay, seeing the gameplay very seamlessly. Uh, this is one of my faults about a lot of open-world games, especially Shadow of War I just talked about. There are times, like, if you win an objective or even lose, it takes a while to reload these things because of the massive world you're in. God of War does not have that problem at all, at least in the time I have played so far. And I really appreciate that, and I hope that is an example to other developers who are looking to create that seamless cinematic experience that we as gamers want to experience in our first in our first single player first party games. I mean it's really it really is something special to see this game unfold itself there. And I know there's about twenty, thirty, maybe forty hours of the game, depending on how deep I want to go into the side content. And I feel like in this game too, again, like I've only played a couple hours, but I feel like even the side stuff that I'm doing, like a lot of it's very simple things like getting to understand the lore of the world. You're using your son to try to interpret that for you since you're a stranger to this world. Even that stuff feels pretty meaningful too when I'm not concentrating on the main mission. And I feel like that's something that really helps too rather than the simple fetch quest that make you go and collect things from different areas. That's one of my problems about Zelda Breath of the Wild. As much as I love the game, I didn't feel a lot of the side quests were very compelling like me you know being asked to find a traveler's sword for something from uh, a distant land and then bring it all the way back to town not the most compelling mission to go through this they have a living breathable world you're in where the lore you can feel the lore and the stories being told all around you and i think that is really impressive and shows the attention to detail that santa monica studio has put in and it's well known that they've they really put the detail in here, uh, especially with previous God of the War games. So that's about as much as I could share right now. Uh, I'm three to four hours in. I've got plenty more hours to go. Uh, hopefully you'll be uh, joining me for the ride as I, as I figure this out. I'd love to hear your thoughts about God of War 2. I'm sure a bunch of you were hyped about this and wanted to get your hands on it too. Do you like the new gameplay style? Do you feel like the story is compelling to, to keep you going? Uh, what do you think of the direction overall for this new take on, on God of War that uh, that you think is good or bad? I would love to hear your thoughts about that. Leave a call in on the show if you have any thoughts, and we can talk about it here. That's about it for me for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for everything that you are and all you do and listening here. Again, you can call in on the show here on Anchor on the app and go to Video Game Fury. Leave your thoughts there. Go on Facebook at facebook.com slash video game fury 79 if you would wish to do that as well until next time folks hopefully gets a little more news later in the week we shall see but until then have a great night folks this has been tim from video game fury and enjoy your games